Hey, this is attorney Elizabeth Potts Weinstein, and today you are listening to the Legal Lucidity Podcast. This is the podcast for small business owners and entrepreneurs to learn about the latest legal news and trends and strategies to help you grow your business. So today we're going to be talking about staff, whether you have employees working for you or independent contractors, there are always changes happening in those laws that apply to all of us as business owners. For many people, you may not have employees or ever plan to have employees, but you typically will have, will have outsiders you hire for at least specific projects, if not for ongoing things. You may have a bookkeeper, you may have someone doing your taxes, you may have a lawyer, you may have someone setting up a new website for you, people doing graphic design or writing, or you may have ongoing contractors for you, someone who does a virtual assistance work or customer service for work for you or who manages your marketing. And then obviously some of us have had employees over the years. Today, we're going to talk about four different areas that are changing. The first is the trend of reducing the work week to being four days instead of five. The second is putting your the salary, the pay that you're going to pay someone in the job description, that being required. The third is do you need to pay summer interns, which is something I talk about on a regular basis. And the fourth is carving out specific gig economy roles where they're not exactly contractors or employees, they're in their own category. So let's get into it. The first thing we're gonna talk about is the four day work week. Now, a lot of us are entrepreneurs and one of the reasons that we started this is so we could set our own hours. It is very typical though for small business owners and entrepreneurs to work way more than the normal five day 40 hour work week, but some of us have actually tried to do something different. You may be working less than eight hours a day. You may be work doing this part time. You may only work four days a week or have some alternative kind of schedule. There is a trend generally to move to working less because a lot of people have found that it's actually more efficient in their own business. However, that is different than being required to do that. So how would a state or the federal government require you to do four day work weeks. Well, they actually don't can't require you to do that because you may need to be open seven days a week, 24 hours a day. What they do is require you to pay overtime. So under the current law, if you have someone work for you more than 40 hours a week, you have to pay them time and a half. Like well, I'm assuming someone isn't salaried. I'm assuming they pay them an hourly wage. So over 40 hours a week to pay them time and a half. In certain states like California, it's not 40 hours a week, it's eight hours a day. And that's when the time and a half kicks in. But what if it was a different calculation? Right now in California, there is a proposed law called AB 2934 that would say if you have more than 500 employees, so it wouldn't yet apply to all of us small business owners, it limits the working week to four days or 32 hours. And then you get had to pay time and a half above that. Now, it's not clear how this would work in reality because it also has a requirement that you can't be reducing someone's overall wages. So would they end up getting an, it raised on an hourly basis? Because if they go from 40 hours a week to 32 hours a week and you're only paying them minimum wage $15 an hour, do you have to pay them more per hour so they make the same amount per week? Yeah, I'm not quite sure. I don't think this has been completely fleshed out. And I don't 
I actually hope it doesn't pass how it's written because it would be unclear on how it's going to be enforced. However, this is the trend. Now, the thing is, going to a four-day work week isn't a bad thing for many businesses. So for example, Microsoft Japan went to a four-day work week and their productivity went up 40%. People were 40% more productive overall when they worked four days instead of five. Now, by the way, I'm talking about 32 hours. I'm going from 40 hours to 32 hours, not working 40 hours in four days, which would be the same number of hours. It also adds to diversity in the workforce because it helps people have more work-life balance. It reduces the healthcare costs because people have a more balanced life. They have more time to get their healthcare needs met. And it also gives you an advantage in hiring. In this current market, it's difficult to find good people because they can get another job at a bigger company where they get paid more. But if they can get paid the same amount or even a little bit less and work only four days a week, that is something that you can offer to them that might get them to take the job with you. Now, right now, no one has passed this law yet as I'm recording this in May of 2022, but it is a trend to be aware of. And California and some other states like that, Washington State, New York, Illinois, there are certain states that tend to be the first ones to pass these kinds of laws. So if it gets passed in California, it will be coming in other states as well. So it's something to be aware of. Second, we're going to talk about having to put the salary or the pay that you're going to give someone in the job description. Many of you have heard of the law that passed a while ago in Colorado, where if you have a job description, you have to state the salary range. So either the hourly rate range or the salary range for a salaried employee in the job description itself. There's been a lot of debate on exactly how this is working. Some people are putting very gigantic job description ranges. Like the, the pay is huge range, you know, you're going to pay someone between 40 and $80,000 a year. Now that probably would not pass with the state of Colorado. Also, because it's not, you wouldn't actually pay. So anyone who has a job twice as much as another person, you're just kind of picking random numbers out. Now on those laws also have other specific things. You can't ask people in some of these rule, laws what they're currently making. You can't ask them their current salary because typically what happens is that encourages companies to pay certain people less just because before they got paid less. And which means that certain candidates who historically were paid less, such as women, such as people of color, you know, like they're going to keep getting paid less than somebody else because they did in their last job. It's inherently unfair. Now, one thing that a lot of business owners have been doing is they'll have remote jobs that they advertise and they say, anybody can apply for this, but not people in Colorado, thinking this is a way for them to avoid this law. And expressly, the state of Colorado has said that that it does not work. You are violating the law by in Colorado by stating that a remote job cannot be applied for by people in Colorado. Now, if you have no staff in Colorado, you don't do business in Colorado, they might not have any way to get at you, but it's something to be aware of is that if you're going around violating this law all the time, in theory, someone could bring an action against you. This isn't just in Colorado. Washington state has passed a law. New York city, um, effective May 15th has a law. California has one that's proposed. There's also specific rules in seven states and cities about 
You may not have to put it in the job description, but if you have to disclose it affirmatively during the hiring process or upon request during the hiring process before you decide to hire someone. There's also six other states that currently have proposed laws like this on the books. So what does that mean for you? If you're hiring remote workers, this is, tends to be where my clients have it come up the most. You need to really think about maybe you need to actually start putting in salary ranges or hourly rate ranges. And the reason is, is that just saying we're not going to hire anybody in Colorado or we're not going to hire anybody in Colorado and California and Washington State and New York City, number one, that starts to become really logistically ridiculous. You're going to have this huge giant list of places. Number two, these states and cities are going to expressly say that doing that is a violation of their rules, which right now may not matter because you don't have anyone there and you have no ties to it, but you might in the future. And if you've been violating all their rules all this time, you may in the future have a problem. So it's something to start considering whether or not this makes sense in your business. It is a different way to hire people to put a salary range. Now I've actually found when I've hired people, it ends up being better. The first time I hired an employee many years ago, I did not put a salary range. I just asked, what do you think you should get paid for this? Because that's what someone told me I should do. And I had people applying for the same job who thought they should get paid $15 an hour. And I had people applying for that same job who thought they should get paid $125 an hour. So what ended up happening is it's kind of a waste of time because I was willing to pay like 20, 25, something like that. So I had these people who were way overqualified I'm never going to pay $125 an hour for this work. They were applying for it. It was wasting their time applying for it. It was wasting my time to read their stuff because it was never going to be a good fit. Now, I think the reason people don't want to do this is because they think they're giving something up to their to their competitors who can see what they're paying people. I think that they think they're giving something up because Let's say I said this job will pay between 20 and 25 and someone who thinks they should do it for $15 an hour applies. And then I could like, I'm like giving the extra money. There's a philosophical problem with that, with not paying people what you actually think they're worth to do that job. There's also a problem from a diversity perspective. A lot of the same people who historically were earning less money, undeservedly earning less money, will continue to do that because they don't value themselves that because they don't know how much money they should make because they haven't been being paid the right amount. But also it's not going to work legally in the future. And so thinking about what you would need to do in your business to comply with these laws now will make it so when you have to later, it won't be as difficult. So some of these laws go into a lot more detail than just disclosing it during the hiring process. You also can't tell people that they aren't allowed to discuss their salary with others, which is probably a federal law violation anyway. But you also have to affirmatively make sure you're paying people the same rate who do the same work. So otherwise it's discriminatory. Uh, and even if you don't mean it to be discriminatory, it ends up being that way somehow. Because the reason they're getting paid different is because they got paid different at their last job, et cetera, et cetera. So this is something to think about an affirmative basis now, and you may need to restructure how you pay people in your business. So whenever this law does come out and it is something that you have to comply with in your business, it's a straightforward thing to do. And you don't have to reconfigure how all your staff works at that time. Now let's go into number three, summer interns. Do you need to pay summer interns? 
Well, the short answer is yes, almost all of you need to be paying your summer interns. And, but why is that? Why do you have to pay your summer interns? Because you'll be like, well, I didn't get paid when I was an intern. So I'm going to assume that you're a for-profit business. A lot of summer interns who don't get paid are working effectively as a volunteer for a nonprofit or for a government agency of some kind. That's totally different calculation. You cannot volunteer for a for-profit business. That doesn't exist. It's not a legal thing. I know people do all the time. They have events and they have volunteers who work at the events for free. That's nice that people do it all the time. That doesn't make it legally correct. Okay. You cannot volunteer for a for-profit business. Period. However, there are very specific situations where an intern does not have to be paid even for a for-profit business. It probably isn't applying to your interns, but it's possible. Think about it this way. It ha the job that the intern is doing isn't a job. It is something purely for their own educational benefit. There's six different factors. I'm not even going to go into all of them because the point is that everything they do is for their benefit and none of it is for yours. If they do work, no, you have to pay them. But if they're like, for example, shadowing you where they follow you around and see what you do, if you're doing training things for them, that's the kind of stuff that counts as a true unpaid intern. But if they're doing any kind of work that either you would do or an employee would do, they're replacing an employee and as such, they need to get paid. Now, you don't, you could pay the minimum wage, which of course here in California, you know, starts to become expensive, but you have to pay them if they're doing actual work for you and it's not purely educational. A lot of people think that as long as they get college credit for it, then you don't have to pay them. But that's actually not the rule. It's really about the educational component. So let's go into item number four, the gig economy. So something that I've talked about on a regular basis is, is your worker a employee or an independent contractor? It de depends on the state that you're in. And there's a rule in the federal government, but there's rules in each state. Each state draws the line in a different place. In some states, if you have a written contract, that shifts the burden for the employee, the, the staff worker to prove that they're an employee. But in some states, like California, but California is not the only one, the default is that they're an employee and you have to prove that they're not. Now in California, they passed AB5 a little while ago that seemingly made everybody an employee, which is actually not quite true because it has a huge list of exceptions and rules about the exceptions. And it's a gigantic mess and it's still being changed on a regular basis right now. The reason this is all a mess is because really there shouldn't just be two categories, right? There shouldn't just be employees, independent contractors. There should also be something in the middle. An employee, we all know what that is. That's someone who works for you either full-time or part-time. When they're working for you, all they do is work for you. You're telling them what to do. You control the manner and means of their work you're paying them a paycheck. A true independent contractor, think of it like that's someone who has their own business. You know, someone who hires me to do legal work for them. I'm not their employee. I'm just writing this contract. I'm forming this LLC. I'm getting this trademark for them. I'm doing something very specific that they're hiring me to do. That's not part of their core business. It's like you hire a bookkeeper. You hire someone to make your website. This kind of stuff, clearly independent contractor land. But what about the stuff in the middle? 
So one of the biggest categories that's been the most controversial are the drivers. So the Uber drivers, the Lyft drivers, all those different companies who have drivers. They set them up and structured their business so they would be independent contractors. But the truth is they kind of work for them. And you Uber and Lyft do not exist if they don't have these drivers. These aren't bookkeepers who do something that's not part of their core business. It is clearly part of their core business. And they also do some direction over the manner and means of their work. I mean, they're not going to tell them exactly what street to drive on, but there is a management of customer service that happens to some extent, but not as much as an employee. And the state, and I mean the federal government as well as individual states, have an interest in trying to protect these gig workers. And the reason is, is because if they don't, these people are going to be a drain on the system if they don't get paid enough, if they don't have sick leave. And the state doesn't want to have to pay for it. They want the business to pay for it. So there is a trend now to carve out specific industries and specific types of workers and make them be in this in-between category. In Washington state, they created a special category, the law just passed, they created a special category for ride share drivers. So it's not delivery drivers also, which I think is weird because a lot of times it's the same people working for the same companies, but I wasn't in charge of this, obviously, that ride share drivers are in their own category, that they have some employee-ish things. They have minimum payments for each ride, kind of, so it's not an hourly payment, it's more like piecework. Uh, In some states, maybe all states, you can get paid for the things you create. So for every shirt that you sew, you get paid X dollars or X cents or however it is. And there's a, that minimum wage is based on that instead of being based on an hourly wage. They also get sick leave and they get workers comp, but they don't get all the stuff of being an employee. Otherwise they're an employee. I think this is going to happen more and more because the whole, having just two categories really doesn't make sense in a lot of industries. So I'm thinking it's not going to be just ride share drivers. It's also going to be delivery drivers, but then it's also going to be other industries. So for example, one other industry this has been kind of ridiculous for are freelance writers and freelance photographers. Photographers and writers who are freelance have their own business and They produce a physical result, electronic or physical result, that gets delivered. And the people they work for don't exactly control the manner and means really. I mean, they give them, here's here's the photos I need. Here's the article that I want. But these people tend to get gigs from the same places over and over again. One of the issues is like in California, it starts to become an employment relationship under the law. However, that's not really the reality of this industry. And so I think what's going to happen in the future is that something to watch out for is that certain categories are going to be carved out to be their own special in-between category. And I think one of them that may happen are things like photographers and writers. And this, the reason I bring that specifically is because that may apply to your business. You may pay someone as an independent contractor to write blog posts for you. And they write a lot of them, right? Really, they're a contractor because they do work for all these other people. You you just get the result from them. You know, you don't tell them what hours to work and all that stuff. However, in some states, they might be considered an employee because they work for you on an ongoing basis. Keep an eye out for those laws changing. I, of course, will talk about them on this podcast. But it's something to be aware of that the people who work for you 
<laughs> trying to keep track of whether they're really a contractor or an employee or some made up new third category is something that you're going to have to be adjusting on the fly as the months and years go by ahead. Again, this is attorney Elizabeth Potts Weinstein, and you've been listening to the podcast Legal Lucidity. If you would like to subscribe, you can watch this on YouTube on the Elizabeth Potts Weinstein YouTube channel, or you can subscribe to the audio podcast in all the places where you can subscribe to audio podcasts. Thanks a lot for listening. Bye-bye.